0: This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Patreon community sponsor, our friend Isaiah, and we thank all our patrons for their monthly support of Priority One Podcast. Command codes
1: verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Episode 199 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, November 20th, 2014, and available for download or streaming on Monday, November 24th, 2014, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Jace. And I'm Elijah. Unfortunately, Cookie has fallen ill with a bad case of Arethian Flu from her travels throughout the Delta Quadrant, but... She is on the mend and should be back with us next week. So, Elijah, what do we have in store this week?
0: Well, this week in Star Trek Online news, several new things have hit the game, including the new Tier Six Intrepid Class Starship. A long list of patch notes, and, of course, Club 47 has reopened on Earth's space dock. With so much community discussion regarding the upgrade system and its cost to players, we actually have the opportunity to chat with the man behind the system. Star Trek Online game designer Jesse Heinig joins us for this episode. Finally, before we wrap the show, we'll open Healing Frequencies for your incoming messages.
1: Admirals, thanks to the support of loyal listeners like you, we've reached our monthly financial goals through our Patreon campaign. Priority One Podcast is now, without question, a collaborative effort with you. Because of your contributions, we don't have to worry about the expensive, dedicated server costs and maintenance. Because of your contributions, the lights stay on from month to month here at Priority One Podcast. We are just as humbled now as we were in August. And we will continue to produce this show thanks to you.
0: We need to take a moment and thank the supporters of the show through our Patreon campaign. So a big thanks to Admiral Saval Brian Kohler, Isaiah Dorsch, Jamie Moran, Jeffrey Miracle, Jerry Lewis, Ken Braun, Lee Mallion, Michael Millette, Ray Borg, Sean Williams, and Tim Defner. A massive thanks to each and every one of you for contributing monthly to Priority One podcast because, quite frankly, without you, none of this would be possible.
1: And even if you can't or you haven't donated, you can support us by dialoguing with us. Your comments, questions, tweets, Facebook messages, in-game chat, they all mean the world to us, and it lifts our spirits to engage with you. So even if you're a long-time listener, share your thoughts with us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, in-game, however you can reach us.
0: And one last piece of housekeeping. We're looking for another audio editor to join the team and assist with the weekly production of the show. So if you have experience in audio work and have wanted to join the team, reach out to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or visit our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, and click on Red Shirt Uncle Sam. All right, admirals, let's jump right into Star Trek Online News.
2: Computer, status report. Status. Incoming
0: message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. And Captains, this week in Star Trek Online news, players can get their hands on the new Tier Six Intrepid Class Starship, a.k.a. the Pathfinder. Now, this is a pretty mean-looking ship, and it's also, it looks pretty handsome as well. I mean, its, it's, it's specifications are uh, actually quite attractive to those of you that love flying a science vessel. Uh, of particular note, now we won't go through uh, every spec that the ship has, but uh, because it's a Tier Six ship, Now, with Delta Rising, uh, we have an intelligence bridge officer seat, one lieutenant intelligence engineering slot. Now, this ship does also come, it's tier 6 variant, comes with a starship mastery that will unlock ablative field projector. Your shield healing bridge officer abilities will provide a small amount of temporary hit points on the target, and this buff can stack up to three times. Now, this is probably... the most fun little tidbit of this new ship is the Aero Shuttle Console. This is going to be a support vessel that offers offensive capabilities and will actually attack a target with its own phaser beam array. If you look under Voyager, if you see pictures of Voyager, there is an outline for a, what was a shuttle, what was designed to be a shuttle, but ne- if I'm not mistaken, the shows never used it.
1: That's right. It's always been on the Master Systems display and in the specs and such, so people have always speculated about it, but I don't believe it was ever used.
0: Nope, I don't think it was ever used, so it's, it's awesome to see that, you know, Star Trek Online can now have the opportunity to take this vessel out. You know, and surprisingly, like, why, if they had this, a shuttle like this, or something built like this, why, why build the, the, the Delta Flyer? I mean, it could have just, you know, they had a, probably had a really good shuttle right there to use, but anyway... Um, this seems like a pretty uh, exciting feature of the uh, Intrepid Class Starship, so I'm sure captains will have a significant amount of fun playing around with this console. This weekend, players could have purchased these Pathfinder packs, purchasing these ships uh, at a discounted rate. Unfortunately, by the time this show airs, uh, the discount will no longer be applicable, but the there are essentially three flavors to purchase this new ship. You can Pretty much just buy it, outright. You can then get a second pack, which would include the Long Range Science Vessel Tier 6 with a Voyager bridge interior. And that one's only going to be available for a limited time. And then there is the overall Intrepid pack. And that includes the Long Range Science Vessel refit, retrofit, the new Tier 6, standard Intrepid interior, and the Voyager interior. So, hopefully you had the opportunity of grabbing those this weekend. Uh, at a discounted rate. Otherwise, you can grab them up on the Zen store. Jace, did you ever fly? Are, are you flying the Intrepid? Did you ever fly the, the long-range science vessels even in the game currently? No, you know, I have
1: the, I have less experience with science ships than almost any other type in the game, and that's something that I'm really thinking about. Uh, giving a try either on a new character or just uh, trying a science ship on one of my existing characters, maybe my tactical officer even. In fact, uh, jumping ahead in the patch notes, the the Scryer is actually getting quite a boost to it, and I already found that ship kind of interesting because there's some unique builds you can do with it, mixing science and intel powers with that commander seat. And in this week's patch notes, it's gaining sensor analysis and the secondary deflector slot. So that's a nice bump for that ship. And the lack of sensor analysis is something that I think a lot of players sort of bemoaned when it first came out.
0: Well, speaking of patch notes, why don't we go ahead and jump right into them?
1: Sure. Like I said, the Scryer is getting that boost. It's going to have a secondary deflector slot, and there is a basic, um, I believe it's white quality secondary deflector that is purchasable for it. Uh, Of course, there aren't a lot of other secondary deflectors available yet, but uh, it still is a skill point boost the skills affected by the, the basic one that's available, which is pretty cool. We have uh, reduced difficulty for some of the Vod War ships. They now have uh, fewer hit points and are generally less of an obstacle. Some of the missions where they appeared, they would spawn with way too many hit points, and there were a few other issues with them. And generally, they were taking longer to defeat and were m- more of a hurdle for players than they were intended to be in the story content. We also see a reduction in the Crystalline Entity, so that it is more in line with the intended difficulty for that event. Um, It is reduced not only in its hit points, but also the damage bonus from the stacks of its recrystallized buff, and the damage from Shatter and Fragment Explosions are reduced, as well as some bugs fixed in there. I will make the caveat, this week we have to give a highlight reel on the patch notes because it's very extensive. I highly recommend anyone interested in more information to look through these patch notes. There's some really good stuff in there. I will also mention that several of the older fleet actions like Starbase 42 and Klingon Scout Force are now going to grant 720 Dilithium, a normal crafting pack, 20 Fleet Marks, And increase skill and expertise points which is pretty cool if you want to go back and do some of that older content I used to do starbase 24 solo or duo sometimes for energy credits and the changes the normalized prices and drops have made that a little less effective but if we're getting other rewards I may go back and try that out again and see how I handle it the biggest change that I wanna talk about this week are changes to skill points. We're gonna include two posts by Charles Gray and one from Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, in the show notes about this topic. Basically, according to the patch notes and according to Charles Gray's comments, the intention was merely to normalize the numerical results of missions and other rewards would appear to players. Prior to this patch, if you completed the same mission at level 49, and versus 51, the player who completed level 51 would appear to gain much less in terms of skill points. This is a little confusing. At the end of the day, according to the patch notes and Charles Gray's commentary, these changes were mostly cosmetic. The idea is that it would not take any longer or be any more difficult to level up than it was before the patch. This was mostly just to avoid player confusion from what we could understand so that Oh uh, well, why did I only get 2,700 instead of 3,300 even though I completed this at a higher level and the enemies were scaled to my higher level and everything else um, however, some folks on the forums and on the subreddit have reported discrepancies with that which uh, Captain Gecko uh, addressed some of those numbers that seem to be incorrect but folks are still seeing some issues with the values that actual critters, enemies in the game are offering, and what some of the duty officer missions are offering. We will likely have more news about that next week. However, the intention by the team appears to be that everything would basically proceed at the same rate, and uh, according to Charles Gray, even have increased rewards in sector patrols coming soon.
0: I'm not going to lie. This whole thing is absolutely confusing to me. Um... I haven't gone into the game since the patch on Thursday um, to test this out or see what the progression feels like. If it if there's no change in in the in what it takes ultimately for me to level up from fifty one to fifty two to fifty three, um, I don't. I still don't understand where the problem is. Right. So the mastery was a skill point in and of itself, right? Having to earn specific skill points for your Starship Mastery. That was improved significantly. Uh, I am very much more enjoying uh, playing the ships to earn the final Mastery Traits, the Tier 6 ships from the Delta Operations Pack. Um, I'm having a much better time with those and enjoying it better. I feel like I can get into the game, play for two hours, and walk out feeling like I, I accomplished something with the Mastery Trait. Um... However, my the leveling is still slow for I, at least up until Wednesday night when I played, um, and I still am struggling to make sure I'm at the right levels where I don't have to wait to play the next mission in the story. Um, you know, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. But so I'm not. I don't understand this. I, this is not. I, it's not clear to me yet what what all the, these changes are, what they mean, how they affect my progression. Because if it takes just as long, then then Uh, Who cares about these numbers? I'm not, I can't wrap my head around it.
1: Right. The intention is that for someone like you who was not concerned with the numbers, it would be totally transparent. You wouldn't even notice the change. However, what some folks are reporting and what Captain Gecko posts is completely unintentional if this is happening, is that it's actually taking longer to level now. If anything, reading Charles Gray's upcoming changes, it sounds like they were trying to ease that and actually maybe make the... Patrol is more rewarding again but yeah it's a little unclear right now we're, we're getting mixed reports and uh, it's possible there may be uh, bugged numbers or a glitch impacting the skill point
0: rewards well, this will be a good conversation to have with our vera when he joins us for episode 200 Oh, yeah. podcast. Oh, yeah, that's right, Captains. Uh, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, lead designer for Star Trek Online, will be joining us next week for episode 200 uh, of the show so we can talk to him a little bit more about this and just kind of wrap our heads around it. A few other things to highlight from the the patch notes. Again, like Jay said earlier, they they are extensive, and we're just highlighting the things that kind of raised our brow. Um, they finally resolved an issue where the BioNeuro Gel Pack console was not properly giving the correct amount of subsystem power boost. Um, now, this was a this is a console that I've kind of been keeping my eye on because it's uh, it's got some pretty decent sta- uh, stats for it. So um, I haven't been in a rush to earn the new materials needed for for this particular console so now that this fix has come down the pipe i'm going to make a much more conscious effort to earn those ancient power cells uh by playing the content more and, and worrying about getting my hands on that the other thing to note on the patch notes is something regarding the
1: zephram Zephra, cochran, 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 cochran shotgun
0: claiming this will now always apply crit D and crit h to the shotgun uh, there's also been modifications done as you uh upgrade the item, particularly uh, to epic quality, and existing Zephram Cochrane shotguns will be updated to reflect these changes. Now for us starship aficionados, several free materials have been added to all tier 5 upgradable ships as well as their tier 6 starships. This material is titled Upgrade in the Ship Tailor, and it will be unlocked on all current and future upgraded systems. The material is available immediately for all tier 6 ships, but is not available on tier 5 ships until the ship has been upgraded. So if you're flying a fleet Avenger that you still haven't used a token on, or a free token on, uh, you cannot get this material unless you actually upgrade it first. And then, then when you go into the ship tailor, uh, there will be an option there for you to select those, uh, those materials. So, that's exciting. Now, the most important patch of this week... Okay, something unbelievable is that Lita's face is more symmetrical now. Finally. Man, that has been, that has just been annoying. Every time I log into the game, I want to rage quit for that.
1: Yeah, you know, I could only actually approach her. I would always have to approach from the left side.
0: I haven't done anything GPL related because Lita's face was never symmetrical.
1: Also, breaking news today, immediately before we recorded the show, Phil Gorgonzola Zaleski commented with new material cost reductions for the R&D system. So almost all crafted items are now going to cost fewer materials, down to as much as 50% of the previous values and total number of materials it would cost to craft some of these. So that should help with the bottleneck we heard about with blue quality materials, especially that were holding people up almost as much as the purples very rares uh however that is something that also gets touched on
0: by jesse heinig in the interview that we'll be launching into shortly lastly captains club 47 is finally open on earth space dock and boy does it look beautiful i did get the opportunity of jumping into the game on thursday night with uh, skiffy and cookie and we were having a blast there on the new club 47 it is a beautiful environment and I actually uh, joked on Facebook with uh, Nick Duguid, the Taco Fang, who is the creator of Club 47, and said that if, if I ever get to have a bat cave or man cave, that I would ask for him to design it. Now, <laughs> for a limited time, and this was only during the weekend uh, that the club was, saw its grand opening, uh, players were able to get a free club wear costume as well as a free dance emote. Unfortunately that will probably end by the time you get to listen to the show on Monday morning, but you can purchase it later with Goldpress Latina. Pretty expensive though. Beam to Earth Space Dock, visit Club 47, have a blast, get yourself those Tron looking outfits, and put Clue to shame. Alright, Admirals, let's find out
1: what game designer Jesse Heinig has to say about the upgrade system. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files.
2: This is Captain Benjamin Cisco. Authorization Cisco Alpha 1 Alpha.
0: Logs accessed. All right, Admirals, joining us this week is Jesse Heine, staff content designer and game designer at Star Trek Online, and really a master of many things, Star Trek Online. Jesse, it's great to have you back on the show. Thank you for joining us here on Priority One Podcast.
2: Thank you very much. Glad to be of service.
0: Now, before we jump into the topic of the upgrade system in Star Trek Online, why don't we just take a moment to remind our listeners about who you are and what you do on Star Trek Online, maybe even a little bit about your background in the gaming industry.
2: I'm an old veteran of the gaming industry, stretching back to the 90s and beyond. I won't go into the full details of my resume here. For Star Trek Online, I switch between doing content and systems work, so I will spend some time implementing missions, making enemies and storylines, and then I'll also switch over to working on rewards and new items, gameplay systems. I can do both elements, and I have done both in the past. I've made uh, several missions that we've probably played, such as um, What Lies Beneath and Mindscape from the recent Delta Quadrant content, And I also have had a hand in some of the systems you've engaged with, including parts of the upgrade system and
0: some of the overwatch and overhauls of the economy over the years. So let's talk a little bit about the upgrade system, right? It's one of the key features that came with Delta Rising and this new expansion. What went into figuring out how players would upgrade their items? What was the philosophy behind it? What was the approach?
2: Okay, the upgrade system fundamentally represents a shift in thinking about how you deliver the kinds of reward items that players are going to get from gameplay. In MMOs years ago, typically it was a complete a quest or a mission, receive a reward. If that rewarded item is better than the one you currently have, equip that and use it. The upgrade system gives you a bit more flexibility in that a player can focus on an item that they like and instead of replacing an item, they upgrade the item that does what they want or that they enjoy aesthetically or that has the powers that they like. And they focus on making that item better. So the item levels up with you. You have the opportunity to take the gear that you find useful and make it effective for you at all levels of play. A great example of why we decided to go with the upgrade system is the Breen set, the Absolute Zero set, which you can acquire by completing the various Breen feature episodes. It gives you a, a space shield uh, deflector instead of impulse engines, and they have set bonuses. But it's often been called out by the players that these set items are not as useful or powerful as some of the set items like the Borg set or the Mako elite gear. Uh, also, because these were handed out as mission awards, they were only available at Mark 11. And so they were guaranteed to be not as powerful as having, say, a Mark 12 uh, Mako Space Shield. With the upgrade system, if you liked that set, or you liked the theme of what it did, or you liked something about one of its powers, you can now get that set where you think it's useful and potentially competitive. Obviously, some cases are going to be more built around this particular playstyle than others. The Breen set is better if you use it on a Breen ship. The Jem'Hadar set is better if you like using rock weapons. But now the opportunity is there. Whereas previously, if you were interested in endgame play and using Mark 12 very rare elite gear, there were many things in the game that were just not useful to you. The upgrade system is an attempt to address that by making it so that almost everything in the game is useful in some fashion, And you get to pick and choose which ones you want to make useful, but it also means that instead of every mission being we give you a specific item and you choose whether to to use that item or not, or every reputation system saying, here's some items that you're either going to engage with or not, you can look at every item not just as an opportunity for something you're going to get now, but an opportunity to look at something you might take with you through the rest of the
0: game. Okay, so going back to the example that you gave about the Breen Absolute Zero set, being that it's issued at Mark Eleven, when my question is, for instance, let's say I get a Mako still up to Mark Fourteen, and I level up the Breen up to Mark Fourteen, will it still be comparable? Will it give the player the opportunity to make a set like that still comparable? Well,
2: I, I don't think the Breen set is necessarily going to be competitive with the Mako set, at Mark Fourteen. If you're looking at just the hard numbers of what's going to give you the most bang for your buck. Certainly there are going to be certain synergies that are better, there are going to be certain items that seem to be better. We do continually make balance passes to try and make sure that things have relative utility and value. But sometimes we'll make items that have a specific niche utility. Like I mentioned with the Gem Hanar set giving you a bonus with Polaron weapons. If you are a Polaron user, this is great. If you're not a Polaron user, that's part of the set that's not going to benefit you, and maybe you don't want to go that direction. But it's worth noting that the Breen set is less expensive to upgrade than the makeup set, because we recognize that it's not a set that is designed to be in the same Level of competitiveness as say the Mako set, and it's easier to get the brain set. You do get those items just by completing a few missions in order to get them, whereas with the Mako set, you're completing a lot of advanced board cues in order to get all of the marks and all of the board neural processors.
0: Now, in terms of going in part of this upgrade system, going from mark 11, 12, 13, 14, and then the rarities. Talk to us a little bit about that philosophy, not only bringing up the mark, but also now introducing the epic gold quality. Sure.
2: So the most significant advantages you'll see out of using the upgrade system are in improving your gear through mark 11 to 12 to 13 to 14. And we bent the curve of how much return you get for items increasing in quality from mark 12 to 13 and 14. 13 and 14 specifically will see a much sharper increase in their power values on a mark-to-mark basis than lower-level increases do. So you should feel like if you have Mark 13 or even 14 gear, it is a significant improvement. And if there's a case where it's not, that's typically a result of some sort of data block. And we're trying to track those, those down and switch them. Now, improvements in quality are things that can happen as a result of the upgrade system but typically those are things that are a small bonus that you'll get along the way, you have a chance to have happen. When your gear reaches Mark 14 and has hit the top, you can continue applying upgrades in order to try and get that quality improvement, but that's a very long haul game. And generally, we feel that the additional mods from having ultra rare or epic level gear are not supposed to be as significant as the improvement of going from Mark 12 to Mark 13 or 14. To some degree, they are there for people who want to be playing at the absolute top of the curve, or people who want bragging rights, saying, I've got all of the epic gear on my ship. Or maybe you have one piece of gear that you think is a real performer, and you want that to be the highest quality that it can be, and so you focus on that. But that was really seen when we were designing all of the content for Delta Rising as something that is an optional level of engagement with the system. You can use upgrades to get things up to elite gear Of that quality, the epic level, but doing so is going to be a very long process. We wanted the upgrade system to be something that was going to reliably give you the mark improvements, but getting the quality level improvements was something that was going to be something you would really have to invest in if you wanted that. And you don't need it in order to play the content.
0: All right, so now let's talk a little bit about that investment and what and how players will go about. upgrading their gear. What was the philosophy in designing that aspect of the upgrade system, in earning tech points and the whole upgrade process?
2: Like I mentioned earlier, the upgrade system essentially is a way for your gear to level up and your gear now has a point bar. Just like your character gets still in order the gain ranks, your gear gains tech points in order to go into the And what we did was we decided, okay, how much of an investment do we think that it should be for someone to improve their gear in a way that we can make it manageable in bite-sized chunks where you can feel like you are making progress with a a small amount of play. If you're a casual player and you play for two to three hours, maybe three times a week, and you're not earning $8,000 a day, how much progress can you make? You might not get a full mark improvement on an item in a session of play, but in a couple sessions of play, you could certainly put down a couple of tech upgrades on an item and over the course of a couple weeks possibly see that item go up in mark. Now before people say that's horrible, you should be able to just improve your item one mark after a day of play consider the investment that it takes for you to get the end game reputation system gear. Similarly, 100,000 points in a reputation if you're getting 2,500 a day from running your daily rep project that's 40 days of investment all of the marks and cues that you're running and so on. But ideally, the upgrade system should be something that you can engage by playing in the queued content and in some of the dilithium learning content without it being a huge factor in your play style, as long as you are taking an approach of, okay, I'm going to focus on what I want to upgrade today. And you should be able to see at least a little bit of progress every time that you are involved in it. So when we broke it down, we said, all right, what is Looking at the end-game gear, what is it going to take so that we can say, a player could go, yes, I can put in that amount of dilithium, yes, I can probably get the the materials I need to make that upgrade. And that's why we landed on the numbers for the superior tech upgrade items, which give 12,800 tech points at a cost of 1,075 dilithium. And that essentially sets a tech point to dilithium point ratio. It's roughly close to 10 tech points for every point of dilithium you sink in. And if you look at, for example, a very rare Mark 12 space weapon, it takes 64,000 tech points for that to go from Mark 12 to 13. That's five of these superior tech upgrades. That's a total of just over 5,000 dilithium. So if you make a 1,000 dilithium or just over a 1,000 dilithium with a day of play, which is not hard to do, you can put in a superior tech upgrade. If you do that five times, you can kick off firing a a very rare space spacecraft from Mark 12 to Mark 13. An important thing to keep in mind is that it's very easy to look at things like infographics and posts and, and so on and say, oh my gosh, it's going to take hundreds of thousands of dilithium or millions of energy credits or hundreds of days for you to upgrade all of your gear on your Starship. We built the Delta Rising content so you don't have to have a fully upgraded suite of top of the line end game gear. You can focus on upgrading the things that you want to upgrade first, get the performance that you want out of those, and make incremental progress every day. You shouldn't be looking at this as, I'm going to have to sink in 370,000 dilithium over the course of 180 days in order to upgrade everything. You should be looking at this as,
0: what can I upgrade today that will give me something interesting to play with tomorrow? We brought up that infographic quickly and we talked about it briefly last week in our episode. And there are other things as well. There's, for instance, spoke with Mighty Bob who put together a spreadsheet that doesn't, of course, include the critical chances of creating on an upgrade. But one of the player concerns that we're hearing from the community is that length of time and the method to which a player can attain a superior tech upgrade. Let's just take a moment and remind players how they can receive, for instance, a superior tech upgrade. Sure.
2: So superior tech upgrades are designed primarily to be the uh, province of crafters, people who engage in the R&D system. If you have level 15 in a school of the R&D system, you have the potential to build superior tech upgrades, which is, if you are serious about upgrading end game gear, that's what you should be using. The efficiency on returns on the lower types of tech upgrades are not good for the endgame gear. The superior tech upgrade will require you to get very rare materials, which you get from running advanced queues or by purchasing them on the exchange. It will require a, a passel of components that have to be built from various uncommon and common uh, R&D materials. And those are very easy to come by through DOS assignments. The science and exploration assignments in Sector Space will have you awash in those in a very short amount of time. You also pay out 15,000 energy credits to make one of these upgrades. It's also possible for you to buy the upgrades from the exchange from another cracker who's made them. They're not bound. And in rare cases, you can get them as drops in certain queued content. The upgrades typically come according to a specific R&D school. So if you want an upgrade for your impulse engines, you will need an engineering tech upgrade, which means you need to pursue the R&D engineering school or find someone who does. And this was partly built on the crafting principle that we wanted crafters to feel like they had specific niches that they could fill and that people who really wanted to heavily engage crafting would have something worthwhile to sell and trade to other players.
0: I understand that the dilithium to tech point ratio, I think, is reasonable. I actually don't have much of an issue with the amount of dilithium. And when speaking with Aurovera, you know, we were talking about okay, the cost of dilithium is much less than getting a piece of gear straight out from the reputation system. I wonder if player concerns might be with the EC costs involved with crafting and creating and getting your hands on a superior tech upgrade because and this is something that we observed last week was that rare materials and superior tech upgrades seem to be almost at the mercy of the exchange so it it becomes almost like a great deal of ec cost involved and almost like a bottlenecking where sure you might be able to earn the dilithium but a player may find it difficult to earn the amount of ec to get those materials
2: If you're buying things off of the exchange, obviously you're going to wind up paying what the market will bear. And those prices are certainly very high. People uh, want to get the best gear and getting these new tech upgrades is going to come at a pretty penny. I do expect that we'll see that those costs will come down on the exchange just as supply becomes greater, as people start figuring out better strategies for running the advanced queues, getting the materials they need. More people reach level 15 in a variety of schools. I just reached level 15 in three different R&D schools on my main character, so people are slowly going to to improve the supply. But there is a a floor there of the certain amount of time and effort that it takes to be able to get those very rare materials and of the EC that's sunk into the price of making the tech upgrade itself. We have been evaluating both the difficulty of getting those materials and the price, and we expect the costs involved, both in materials and energy credits, to be adjusted for tech upgrades. Likely, we'll revisit the energy credit cost. We haven't landed on where exactly we want that to fall yet, but it will probably come down to some degree, and we are certainly going to be reducing the amount of materials that are needed by likely at least half for these various tech upgrades. Also, we're going to guarantee that every time that you complete an advanced queue, you will always get advanced material it.
0: Wow, I think that's gonna ease a lot of player concerns. You know, for instance, one point here I have to talk about is that the average player can sometimes be a myth, right? If we can talk a little bit about a player like me who you know mostly focuses on one character and generally one ship at a time versus someone who plays numerous characters or has a, a collection of many ships, how was the upgrade system developed for a player, for that gap, that chasm of player, the one player, one ship versus the you know one account with 30 characters and even more ships?
2: So this is a known gap that we're working on resolving. And again, I will give the usual caveat that right? It's never possible for us to make promises about anything. Nothing is certain until it has shipped. But just like we have gone and looked into adjusting the costs for upgrades, we are in the process of examining ways that we can make it less difficult for a player who's engaged the upgrade system already to re-engage that with a different ship or a different character. We have not settled yet on the form that this will take. We are looking at ways that we can do this without players necessarily exploiting the system but also making it significantly generous enough that if you are using a lot of alternative characters that they have a leg up similarly when we release a new ship and people get really excited about it oh i got the new t6 pathfinder and i totally want to try it but it's a science build and all the gear that i have is made for my escort and i'm going to have to re-gear and re-upgrade everything that's a huge hurdle So we are discussing internally what are ways that we can make that much less of a burden. We don't know yet what form that will take. It might be something in the form of having a high level of upgraded gear gives you discounts on upgrading your gear. It might be a form of being able to take tech points out of something you've already upgraded and putting it somewhere else. This is all very speculative. But it's on our known list of things that we're squinting at very hard and going, you need some attention.
0: Going back on the infamous infographic that's been floating around, you know, they have some monetary costs. Now, personally, I'm the type of player that previously, before the upgrade system, I would buy Zen, convert it to Dilithium, and either convert that Dilithium into fleet marks if I needed fleet gear, or just save it for the reputation system with this new upgrade system, because of the rare materials and the necessity to purchase some things via the exchange, it can fluctuate for me a little bit. Has there been any thought to provide upgrade materials like for instance, the Delta upgrade kits that came with the operations pack for players like me that just want to be able to buy it and upgrade as I go along?
2: Well, we probably won't be doing things like the Delta Vanguard kit as something that you can just buy directly out of the C-Store we have discussed having some of the new crafting packs give the opportunity to drop things like accelerators and catalysts or universal versions of upgrade devices. For instance, you may recall when you were playing through some of the Delta Rising content, there's a couple of missions that give you a superior universal tech upgrade, it can be applied to anything. That way you don't have to worry so much about which R&D school you were pursuing or what kind of a, a craftsman you are trying to find to make things. So we certainly want to have ways to get these things into players' hands, but we don't want to undercut the value of people who invest heavily into R&D and who really like that sense of I'm building things and doing research. So I don't think that we are going to necessarily release those just as a buy your upgrade straight out for cash. But what we do want to do is make it so that people who choose to engage that system will find it much easier to get upgrades from the R&D people or from the exchange that they do want to deal with, make it less punitive for R&D crafters to build these things, make it cost less for them to get out there, improve the supply, get rid of some of those bottlenecks, to smooth out the process. So if you want to get those things, instead of, I'm going to put down a bunch of zen in order to get my tech upgrades, it should be, I'm going to play the game some more, and I'm going to use that zen to buy things that I like that let me enjoy the game more and then I'm going to earn energy credits from my drops, I'm going to earn dilithium from playing cues and marks, and then I'm going to just buy these things from my friends who do R&D, because I'm not invested, for instance. So our goal, ultimately, is to get those costs down where the supply is strong enough the costs are manageable. And if you decide that you're not going to upgrade by making these things yourself, that you should find it affordable to get them from the exchange or from your fleet links.
0: I think that's pretty fair. Absolutely. I think that right now one of the things that is driving up the costs is the supply and so it's in these superior tech upgrades are in the hands of the crafters and even for myself Skiffy our audio engineer is a master crafter and even he has a hard time finding some of the resources needed or it costs a high amount of EC so I think it'll be great for players to hear that those will be managed in some way shape or form to help mitigate those costs. Is there any other plans for the upgrade system that we haven't talked about or something we haven't touched on yet that uh, you wanted to address?
2: There's something that's sort of underlying a lot of this discussion about the dilithium costs that's worth addressing, and that's opportunity cost. There's a lot of things to spend dilithium on in this game already. So when you are talking about upgrading an item, you're not just talking about, is it worth my money, my dilithium, my time, whatever you use? To upgrade this piece of gear but is it worth it to do that instead of putting it into a fleet project or converting it into Zen doing whatever you're doing with it and since you have a limit on how much dilithium you can refine each day that is something you have to be very conscious of am I doing this with my dilithium am I doing that with my dilithium so that is one of the other factors that we're taking a look at in terms of what the expenses are for upgrading your gear not just is the dilithium cost a, a manageable price that, once you feel like, you can make a little bit of progress every day if you want to. But is it a price that doesn't feel like it's going to cut in your ability to use dilithium for other things that you want it to do? And again, we're sort of in a preliminary stage of evaluating all of the information around that. But we're looking at, do we need to adjust dilithium prices? Do we need to get more dilithium into people's hands in some fashion? Or what is going to be our best way of making it so that not just the dilithium costs for upgrading feel reasonable, but they feel like something that is a reasonable trade off with not doing something else. And uh, this plays in with the notion that if you have multiple ships or multiple sets of gear, and you're paying that cost multiple times in order to upgrade things, you're now making this choice to be locked into something. Oh, I've got my old Mako set, and I have upgraded it to Mark 14. Why would I get the Delta reputation set? Because it's only going to be Mark 12, and I'll have to pay to upgrade it to Mark 14. Again, we want to find ways to make those costs reasonable and to say, okay, you've invested heavily in upgrading your gear, so we recognize that, and we're going to make it easier. The final form that will take is not good decided, but it is a topic that is really under discussion. Or we're examining the best way that we can roll that out. So hopefully we will have more information about that as it comes out. But at the very least, players should know that they're not shouting into a vacuum. We are aware that there's things that we still need to address. The upgrade system isn't fully finished yet, we still are doing balance passes. We're looking at things like, what's the completion rate of various advanced queued events? How many players managed to complete advanced Azure Nebula versus completing advanced or disconnected? Because that tells us what kinds of materials are getting in the economy and which ones are. And we're looking at revisiting those cute events to make sure that they're completable. Because if you can't get the materials that you need to make engineering tech upgrades, it's kind of pointless to try and put some sort of a price tag on it. That material might as well be valueless or priceless if you can't get your hands on it. So we've got multiple different gates, and we're trying to smooth out the systems by gathering information from what players are being able to do successfully, how are players getting their hands on these things, how much is it costing them, where's the pain points, where's the places where people say this is too difficult and giving up. And so you can expect not just that we're going to continue to adjust the pricing on the tech upgrades themselves and likely trying to find ways to make that more manageable, but adjusting how you give out the materials that you need and adjusting the ways that you complete the advanced LA queues so that you can earn those materials. I just, in the last couple of days, I've played Advanced Azure Nebula four times, failed all of them, and uh, so that's a half-hour lockout and no materials. That's not fun gameplay. Nobody likes that. So we're looking at, okay, how can we revisit this and make it so that you feel like it's worth your time? If you go in Borg Disconnected Advanced, you spend 20 minutes, and then you get your failure because you were one board ship short of completing the third optional. That's, again, not a fun thing. We want people to enjoy the game, play the things they want to play, and then be able to use that to engage the systems. And we're looking at the best solutions that we can to do that. So keep your eyes on the forums, keep your eyes on the patch notes, listening to priority one as we get more information. We'll share it with you. So we are hearing these concerns We're aware that that there's things that are seen as painful or difficult by the players, and we want to make those things better.
0: And that's fantastic. You know, I know that the community can be loud, and sometimes they feel that nobody's listening. But from our experiences at Priority One, we know that you are. You know, we know that you guys are very attentive to the forums. So it's fantastic. It's fantastic to hear these things, these points that you've hit on that are spot on to what the community is talking about. Are you hearing that it's the dilithium cost that's one of the biggest pain points? Or is it something like the materials and EC? Where are you hearing most of the community feedback coming into regarding the upgrade system?
2: Well, drilling down into the different things that we see, like the, the infographic, the infamous infographic that talks about it costs this many E C and it takes this much time. The dilithium cost doesn't seem to be as egregious. Some people are still a little unhappy with it, and we are still looking at, you know, the opportunity cost that I mentioned before, and saying, okay, maybe we need to make it so that this isn't just competitive with how much it costs to buy this gear outright. But how much is it worth compared to throwing another $15,000 toward completion of another tier of your starbase? So there seems to be a lot of a stronger focus on the energy credit costs. And I think the large chunk of the energy credit cost is based on the assumption that you're going to have to go to the exchange. You have no choice but to go to the exchange. I think that in, in cases of some of the Q events that are extremely difficult, there is probably some truth to that. If you can't complete Azure Nebula Advanced, you have no choice but to go to the exchange for your Argonite. So it is true that the advanced and elite content is designed to be hard. You should be doing it with teams. You should be using strategy. And we don't want to lose sight of that. We want these things to be difficult to do and the sorts of things that are approached by people who are seeing this as serious business. But we want to do so in a way that's ultimately rewarding. It says, you did a good job. Your team kicked ass. So here are the rewards that you were expecting. That's why we want to do things like make sure that you're always going to get rewards that you need. Make sure that these things are completable in a reasonable fashion without needing you to have some sort of obscure, tricked out build on your ship. And I would highly recommend, if you're having trouble getting through these advanced queues, you've decided that you love doing R&D and you want to do all this crafting, but you want to get these materials for yourself, you want to go through these queues, and get these things, even if you haven't previously done a lot of this advanced elite content. Get involved with a good fleet, find a good group. There's a bunch of chat channels that have independently been created to support this sort of thing. Priority One's got its own fleet. Many of the different podcasters have fleets. There's fleets that are supported by Reddit. There's fleets that are mentioned on the STO fleet forums. And you can find people who will help you, who will teach you the strategies, and who will work with you so that you can get through these sorts of cute events and get those materials. Doing these events with people who are unable to strategize and understand how to include those optionals is going to be a really frustrating experience. And and, uh, we recognize that that's going to be difficult. And that's why we are looking at making some of those optionals feel more manageable, feel like, okay, this isn't something that's just going to be completely impossible if I'm doing Again, how that content gets updated is going to be dependent on what our data says about which things are being played, which things are being failed, which things have a good completion rate, and so on. And, and our content lead, Charles Gray, has been accumulating that data and going over that. Very
0: excellent, excellent. I know that that's another big discussion going on in the community about you know the idea of the casual player. Can people run a pug with any of the new advanced or the elite cues. So it's interesting to hear that you guys at Cryptic are looking at that data to try to make that more manageable. For someone like Dr. Robert Hurt, who usually Logs into the game and has a finite amount of time and has to do a pickup group but just can't complete it because for whatever reason he can't communicate well or properly with uh, the rest of the team. So it's good to see that those metrics are being looked at and players can expect to see some tweaks to that gameplay.
2: I would expect to see some tweaks in some of the advanced queues. Elites are probably going to stay monstrously difficult. Elite queues, we really want that to be cream of the crop. We're the best of the best. We know exactly what we're doing and our ships are here to handle it. Elite is for bragging rights. Advanced cues should be things that are difficult, but if you have your game together, you've got a reasonably good build. You're not running a bunch of Mark 10 white gear, and you are able to strategize with your team. It should be something that you can handle. When I play advanced cues, and I've failed some and succeeded in some, I'm typically running a mix of Mark 12 and 13 gear on my ship, and then I've got a fairly carefully selected bridge officer layout. It's obviously not designed to sing at the super high levels of performance, but it is enough for me to say, okay, I'm able to fulfill a particular role and get through this queue as long as my team is also on the ball. And one of the things that we're looking at is, how is our design helping or hindering team completion rates? Is this advanced queue failing because a team was unable to get their act together? Or is it because we were not communicating our expectations of what that team is supposed to do very well? And if it's a communication problem, then we might clarify that. We may come in to Azure Nebula and say, all right, you have two and a half minutes to free three ships, or else you're going to fail the optional. And here's how we recommend you approach this. Split up your team in this way to get your best chance of doing this sort of thing. Because uh, to some degree, we rely on players figuring out optimal modes of play. But we also want these things to be things where it's approachable. We give you sort of, here's the door. Now let's see if you can get your shit through it.
0: Jesse, I just want to take a moment. The infographic seems to be the one that's spreading around like wildfire.
2: It's easy to share and easy to digest. It's,
0: right. You know, one page,
2: one image, link it. It's there, and, and you don't have to digest a lot. I think right. that people feel anxieties or issues or concerns, and this is their attempt to deconstruct what is the root of a problem and address it. And we may or may not agree on what is the root of a problem, but if people perceive that there is a, an issue, then we should look at it. So, with the infographic, the picture one specifically. They are saying, here's an assumed total of dilithium and energy credits and, and so on, based on a, a loadout that might have eight weapons, a three-piece set, and four consoles that you find worth upgrading. They said is close to around 300 and I don't have the infographic right in front of me, 360,000 oh, dilithium. And then the energy credit cost was highly variable, depending on which chip you were talking about. It could be $55 million or 120 uh, million. Um I, I feel that it was unfortunate that they chose to be a little bit pejorative with some elements of the, the infographic, saying because of this nerf and because of, uh, so on. Um, but looking at the numbers, they did also sort of bury the lead in saying these numbers of energy credit costs are based on the assumption that you're going to get everything off of the exchange and the fact that things are on the exchange at all means some people are getting them so presumably it is something that you can acquire if you choose to do so although it might require a level of investment that perhaps people find daunting and that's certainly fair i think that their dilithium cost is pretty close and again i would warn think about dilithium cost in terms of not just okay this is ultimately how much dilithium i'm going to be spending to upgrade this but how much progress am I going to make each day? How much uh, am I going to get along the way? If you're upgrading, by way of example, a tier of a Starbase that costs you a million dilithium, you're sinking in a million dilithium. Now, it is split over the number of people in your fleet 25, 500, who knows. Um, but you're sinking in a million dilithium, and you get nothing out of that except for your fleet marks until the very end, when you kick off the upgrade, wait a week, and then it comes through. With the upgrade system, out of that 300-some-odd, 1,000 dilithium, you are getting incremental upgrades along the way, and oftentimes the improvement from going from Mark 12 to Mark 13 and Mark 13 to Mark 14 should be a much bigger percent-wise improvement than going from 11 to 12 or 10 to 11. So you should be seeing significant improvements in your performance at each step of the way. It is, as they would say in the insurance industry, an amortized cost. You're paying out this cost over a long period of time that gives you benefits as you go. And so you can realize those benefits along the way. That's one of the things that I think is difficult about the infographic, is that it's presenting this upfront as, here's all of these costs that you should think about all as big numbers all at once, instead of thinking about, if I want to upgrade just my engine deflector shields on my ship, okay, what's it going to cost me to get there? How many days is it going to take for me to go from 12 to 13 and have a Mark 13 instead of a Mark 12? That is largely a perception difference. In terms of numbers differences, I already mentioned that with the energy credit cost, I think it is possible for you to go ahead and acquire these items on your own. And aside from the very rare components that get out of the queues, almost everything else is not going to be too difficult to get by running duty officer assignments. That's a fantastic way to get those materials. So I think that if you are saying it's going to cost you 55 million or 120 million energy credits off of the exchange, That might be the case if you choose solely to use the exchange. I expect, like I mentioned earlier in this interview, those costs are going to go down both as a result of changes that we want to make to accessibility and a result of more and more and more skilled R&D people entering the field. And I think that those are the prices that are most susceptible to coming down. The total energy credit cost overall, if you get all the materials that you need yourself and you're just paying the price for crafting your superior tech upgrades. It's probably closer to somewhere north of two million energy credits. Seems daunting if you are on the ball with uh, selling occasionally good things that you craft on the exchange, running Tour the Galaxy. It's not a terrible amount of money to generate, and uh, it still feels a little bit high. And we would like that to see that number go down as well. One of the undersold elements is time the amount of time that it takes. And this is hard built into the upgrade system because once you finally kick off an upgrade for something to go from one mark to the next it has a cooked time. Our preferred pattern of play, the idea that we had was that people would play the game for however many hours they want to play and then upgrade items at the end of their play cycle and log off for the night. And when they logged in the next day, claim the items. Since you only have limited number of upgrade slots, you can only be running a certain number of upgrades concurrently. If you don't want to pay Dilithium to immediately reclaim your item, and that's completely fair and legitimate, that means that you leave the items to bake overnight, so to speak, and then you take them out of your baking oven the next day. But that is going to mean that there is a a time gate to how fast you can upgrade your items. And essentially, time spreads like this, they're an element of a lot of modern game design because of the reality that you can't create content as fast as people can consume it. So you give people content that's spread out over time so that it takes them a certain amount of time to absorb it. Another thing to go with that reality though, which may be you know, awkward to hear, is that people can only play for so many hours a day. There are some people who are super hardcore players who are playing 6 hours, 8 hours, 12 hours a day, 7 days a week. They do nothing but farm the energy credits. But that's not most of the players. Many players play for a few hours at a time, and so we want to break up the progress that they make in things into bite-sized chunks so that they can say, all right, I played for three hours, and I got enough stuff to get one upgrade kit, or to kick off one mark improvement. At least I made some progress tonight, as opposed to having the progress feel so far off in the distance, feel like, oh, it's going to take me three more weeks before I see one upgrade kit that will give me a full mark improvement. People have a tendency to lose the sight of the goal when the progress is that far in the future. And that's one of the difficulties I think with things like this infographic is it's looking at these enormous numbers and having players get discouraged and say, this is not achievable. But you can do this in small steps that are achievable. And Anyone who has looked at the, the mechanics and the psychology of how you take big problems and makes them approachable, that should be totally familiar. Take a big problem and turn it into littler problems. Make it into bite-sized problems that you can tackle. And so that's one of the, the big design benefits behind this. So let's look at the spreadsheet. Yeah. Oh so many numbers.
0: And actually I want to comment on that. You know, for a player like me, you know, I'm that player that goes in a few hours a night, and tries to churn through the content as much as I can, and I have felt, you know, I'll be honest with you, a little, that the upgrade system was a little daunting, that, okay, man, I gotta get my hands on these superior upgrades, how do I do that, I don't even, I have to give these rare materials or EC to Skiffy, Otherwise, my hands are tied, or I can try to get through the the R&D system myself and then be in control, be the master of my own craft. So I think it's great to hear that you are looking at that. You are looking at players like me, the casual player that wants to take more ownership of that upgrade system and feel that I can log in, and like the DOF system, I go into a sector and I launch several DOF missions, and I can see that progress a little bit at a time get that same feeling from the upgrade system, that I can do something, I can launch in and, like you mentioned earlier in the interview, throw some tech points in an upgrade somehow.
2: One of the nice things about that, as well, as a design, is that as frustrating as it might be for some players to go, oh, why can't I just have this at Mark 14 right now? If you are playing more casually, having one or two upgrades that you do every play session means that you're less likely to forget where you were going. If you're like, okay, I put in this thing for an upgrade, and then you come back to your play session. Oh, I have to take this out, put it back on my ship. Now I remember what I was upgrading. And now I know what I was going to do next, as opposed to, wait, I'm saving up a bunch of stuff. And in three weeks, I'm going to have it. But what was I getting? I don't remember. So another thing I personally, dearly, would like to do is improve our messaging of how you engage the upgrade system. We ideally would be able to get this into the the duty officer system too. People would be very helpful. How do you engage it? What's the best way to engage it? And where do you go to get everything? So it's not tutorialized right now. With the reputation systems, for instance, when you first start engaging reputations, it opens up the UI, it's got these nice arrows saying, here's what you do, play these cues, get these marks, run this project, put this in, oh my gosh, you got rewards, isn't that fantastic? And we haven't tutorialized the upgrade system yet. The duty officer system was built before we had those kinds of tutorialization tools. And I would love to take some cycles to go through and get that sort of information out there. We'll probably continue to make some informational posts Through the forums or through podcasts like this to get that information. But ideally, I would love to get information in games like, okay, you want to use the upgrade system. Here's the smart way to do it. Here's where you go to get the things you need. Here's what you should be doing if you want to get the most bang for your buck. You should be getting these kinds of upgrades. You should be using them this way. You should be playing this content so that you know exactly what you should be doing. You shouldn't feel lost. You should never feel like, this new system was introduced, and I heard about it, and there's a thing in this vendor. I don't know what it does or how it works, and I feel like I'm making a bunch of bad choices. Making bad choices isn't fun. Nobody likes doing that. You want to get this system into a position where people feel like they're making great choices and that they're getting something out of it.
0: Don't get me wrong, though. If I could buy it now, I would. But, you know, I, I get it. I get it. I get it.
2: <laughs> right. We should. we only have so much time. You know, it's like I can tutorialize the upgrade system or I could have given you the Minescape mission. Which would you like?
0: Right, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. If you want to go ahead and look at the spreadsheet too, we can certainly do that as well.
2: Absolutely. Anything in particular that was jumping out at
0: you? In comparison to the infographic, this one is definitely geared towards somebody that, you know, wants to really take a look at the numbers and going over the spreadsheet with Mighty Bob, for instance, we went into the game, we compared it, we pulled the numbers, we saw that, you know, for instance, going from mark 12 to mark 14, your weapons would cost you 192,000 tech points. So for instance, in this particular spreadsheet that I'm looking at, I put together Together the sum of what it would be to currently, according to Mighty Bob's numbers, if you look at C2, what it would cost to do eight weapons, four modules, and eleven consoles. (laughs) Right. And now this is without the system critting, this is without you know the rarity chance, but ultimately what we're looking at based on this spreadsheet is something around the ballpark of 282 tech upgrades. 303,000 dilithium and 4 million EC. When looking at this, this seems reasonable to me. I see these numbers and I get it. Even the dilithium cost seems reasonable to me, you know, because again, having mentioned earlier, speaking with our of about it when the system was first introduced, it was these costs or upping the cost during the reputation system, you know, making it an astronomical amount of dilithium to get a Mark 14. But, you know, again, the pain point for me when I'm looking at this and I use a tool like this that a community member took the time to try to make and flesh out. This looks okay. And I think to myself, oh, okay, it's reasonable. And then, like you mentioned earlier, then you go into the exchange. I want to get those materials. I want this now. Oh, but now the EC costs skyrockets. So again, it's nice to hear that the team is aware of that. The team is conscious of that and that feeling that players are getting and finding a way to cater to that.
2: We want to find what are the pain points? What are the bottlenecks? How do we open up those bottlenecks? How do we remove those pain points? and make it so that it will still take you some effort to get these things, but you should never feel so discouraged that you decide you're just not going to engage the system.
0: Now, you talk about these changes and these analyses that are going on right now. What do you think the timetable might be if you can tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, I can say that our systems lead, Phil Zaleski, has already started the process of implementing changes to the material costs for tech upgrades. and. So you should start seeing the beginnings of changes rolling out within one to two patch cycles. And we just of course have a very large patch today, the 20th of November. So if we keep to uh, our typical schedule and we have a, a stable build, this is probably no more than a few weeks out, a month at most, that you should start seeing changes to the formulas for components and for the materials that it takes to build components and to build the tech upgrades themselves. The numbers on the energy credits and the work on tweaking uh, queues is really the tweaking of the queues and the drops um, thereof is probably more important because that improves the supply, which brings the energy credit cost down. That is a slightly more involved project because it involves potentially content redesigning or reapproaching how advanced queue completion works. May or may not happen that way, might happen differently, could be a matter of giving out more rewards for successfully completing an advanced queue, but certainly we're looking at ones where players are just not succeeding in them and saying, okay, what can we do to make this manageable? That is probably something that's a little more long-term in the near term of a couple of months down the road. The other issue is the cost to make an energy cost just to make the superior tech upgrade itself. That one is currently under consideration. We want to figure out where we want to land on that. Once we do, it's very easy to get into the system. So that's really a case of, okay, let's figure out exactly where we want the numbers to fall out, which is something that is probably going to happen over meetings over the course of of the next several days. But because it'll be settle on numbers, then implement everything, and of course, a lot of people are going to be out over the, the upcoming holidays. That's again probably something you'll see not for a couple months down the road, but it's possible it might be that. Might be that.
0: Great, great, great. Well, and please say thanks to Phil Zaleski for me for adjusting those mastery ship progress on that. I'm enjoying it much, much more now.
2: Right. Again, that fits with the philosophy that we really wanted to pursue of you should never be dissuaded from doing this. You feel like you're getting something that's worth your time. In that case. Obviously, we want people to try lots of different ships, so we want you to feel like trying a different ship gives you a bonus. It's not just fun to try a different ship, but I'm getting something out of it. Instead of, oh, I have to go and try another ship and fly it for another 25 hours of punitive content before I get my reward. That's not fun. Nobody likes that. There was one other thing I wanted to mention, which is the experimental kits, which require you to get components from the elite queues. The infographic says experimental kits do nothing. This is wrong. Out, am going to just say it. What an experimental kit does is improve your chance for a quality improvement on your gear. It means you have a better dice roll of getting that quality improvement of going from very rare to ultra rare or ultra rare to epic. But like I mentioned before, getting that epic gear is really for people who want that top peak performance, who want that bright right. Upgrading to that top end gear is supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to be something for the people who really want to eke out that final best bit of performance from their gear. And it's going to be an intensive and difficult process for them to do so. So that's what the experimental kits are for. That's why those are relegated to needing materials from the Elite queues that are super hard, because that's really optional content. If you want to do that stuff, that's great. And we encourage people to do that. It's a a fantastic challenge, and it's a great way to really polish your skills and stuff. But you're going to need the gear and the ships to do it and you're gonna need a team that works like a well willed machine. But experimental kits, that is what they do. They are specifically a higher dilithium cost, but a much better chance of improving the quality of your gear. So if your focus is on getting that gold gear, then experimental kits are your best potential route for doing that. And if they are not your best potential route for doing that, then that would be something that we need to reevaluate. Experimental kits do have a function. It's built in. We've tested it. We know it works. I've used it myself.
0: In its current state, are you finding that players are using the experimental kits and getting that bang for their buck? As you said, it does cost more Dilithium. Maybe the same amount of experimental kits needed, but it costs more Dilithium. Are players getting that return on investment? Are you finding that players are seeing that? I
2: don't have stats yet on that, but I do know mathematically that you should get a better ROI if your goal is to get quality improvements when you're using experimental kits. An experimental tech upgrade, honestly, because of of how difficult it is to get right now, I think it's gonna be hard to have a lot of experiential, oh, this was what I got out of it from players so far. The way that you can see this is if you go to upgrade a piece of gear that is, say, a rare piece of gear or something and don't actually upgrade it, but slot in a superior tech upgrade, then slot in an experimental tech upgrade, and you should see a very noticeable difference in the percent chance for it to improve in quality displayed on the UI. Don't actually apply that thing, you don't want to use that on some rare Mark 10 or whatever, you want to save that for the gear that's trying to claw its way to the top. But you should be able to see that noticeable difference. Similarly, there's the UI will display that difference if you use a catalyst or an accelerator, and Accelerators, if you are going to spend money to purchase Zen, are a great way to help improve that system too. An accelerator is going to give you either more tech points so your gear will get to that X mark faster with fewer upgrades, or it will give you more research points so you have a better chance of getting that quality improvement. And Using an accelerator in conjunction with an experimental kit is going to give you the maximum chance for you to get that quality improvement.
0: Now, Jesse, before I let you go, I do want to ask just one more time, you know, for that player that has the multiple characters with the multiple ships and the multiple loadouts, how are you guys looking at those metrics and how do you think it will affect the upgrade system?
2: So we have several proposals on the table and we are going to have to evaluate all of them and see which one is going to do the best justice in terms of this. And those vary, as I mentioned, from having some sort of account-based unlock that says, congratulations, you've gotten a Mark 14 shield. It's now much cheaper for you to upgrade shields on all of your accounts. Or potentially something like, if you have this item that's already upgraded, you can pull the tech points out of it into some sort of device that maybe is account bound and switch that to something else. Or it could take some other as yet unidentified form. But we definitely want to make it so that the upgrade system has a component that makes it so that when you have upgraded gear for one ship, it is much simpler for you to upgrade additional sets of gear. So you can say, well, I've still got my Hadar bug ship and I like flying that. I'm going to put the Hadar set on it for the extra set bonuses and a bunch of Polaron weapons, and it's not going to be hideously difficult for me to, to make all of that competitive. Or so that you can say, Well, I got all of this stuff on my Fed character, who's a research monstrosity, and my KDF character could really benefit from some of these upgrades. Well, if, if this is an account wide unlock, maybe I can get it at a lower price. We are also talking about the possibilities of having this interface with the crafting system in some way to get mods from your gear and put it onto other gear or some sort of mod re-rolling people have asked for. This is all very speculative and it's still in the discussion phase, but we knew that this was a, a component that's important to address, but we wanted to get the fundamentals of the upgrade system available and then take the opportunity to fill this component later rather than wait another three months, six months year, who knows, before we get everything out there. because. If you're going to play those in the queues, you're going to need that on Mark 14 gear. You have to get that somehow. And so we chose to get the upgrade system out. But it's not a complete system. We are going to continue to add and revise and update the system so that it can meet those needs and so that it can be approachable even for people who have many characters, many alts, and hopefully in a way that will feel very satisfying. I play multiple characters. I've mentioned years ago, when I first did an economy interview with you folks, that I play the game deliberately engaged the same way a player does, meaning I don't have any special dev cheats. I don't have access to any special Zen or Dilithium reserves as an employee. I get Dilithium by running Q events, by playing DOF assignments, by using the Dilithium line, just like a player would. When I want Zen, I use the Dilithium Zen Exchange. And the reason I do that is I want to see how this game plays. Folks like you, your listeners, I want to see what is the real experience for people who are really
0: playing Star Trek online. Is it fun? And if it's not fun, we should fix it. Well, Jesse, that's fantastic. And I know you do because just the other night you and I went into a patrol and (laughs) advanced. And uh, I mean, I know I died a few times, but uh, it was fantastic and it was fun. So you are in the trenches and players see that. I mean, if you're in the priority one chat in game, you'll see Jesse Heineck asking to join a team. So thank you for that, and that's fantastic. And again, thank you so much for spending the time to go through the upgrade system and its current iteration, talk to us about the future of it, talk and address player concerns and community concerns. You know, one last time, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to cover that we might have overlooked?
2: You know, I know some people will say, I wish you could give us solid answers about how this is going to be addressed today. And again, we can't give solid answers until it's in the patch notes and coming to release to you. But I will tell you concretely, we hear the things that you are saying, we're aware that there's concerns, that there's problems, that there's complaints, that there's angry mobs with torches and pitchforks, and we are working to make the game better and more fun and more approachable, and we always want to find ways to do that
0: awesome well jesse thank you again for stopping by here on priority one podcast don't be a stranger come on anytime you'd like to talk about game systems content and any new missions that you might be working on and any new systems that you might be working on Uh, it's always a pleasure having you and deconstructing the game in the way that we can
2: thanks again live long and prosper
1: message coming in
0: sir
2: Having frequencies open see we are getting to know each other
0: All right, Captains, we're at the part of the show where we open Hayley frequencies to see what's incoming from you, our listeners. As a brief recap, last week's community question was, how much have you spent on upgrades? And did you grind for the requirement costs, or did you just buy it now with EC and Zen?
1: Kick it off with Dan Koheiser, commenting via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I haven't upgraded anything. I can't afford to upgrade anything because I need the resource to get the rep up and to get the rep gear. Once I get that done, I can consider doing it for one ship. Once that is done, I can consider working on alts and one ship for each. Once all the alts have its one ship maxed out, then I'll work on a second ship. Pretty organized approach.
0: Sean Newboy posted on priorityonepodcast.com. One, love the new mastery costs. Two, I have been using the freebie kits but have not been crafting for it, waiting until my crafter reaches 15 in all disciplines. Three, even with the crafting weekend the price is too high for the mark upgrade system is fine but the quality upgrade system sucks i have 16 alts to do it will take a while wonderful show everyone e- even in our interview with, with Jesse Heineck you know the, the, the he made the point that you know epic gear is, is almost for bragging rights where going from ultra rare to epic it's a nominal increase but but it's there
1: The biggest issue with the quality improvements is probably around uh, weapons and making sure you get the right mods. Um, People are spending a lot of time on upgrading weapons, crafting them to get the mods they want, and then upgrading them from a low level to have the best chance of getting a quality upgrade, so that they can see what mod they get. Like, if you're trying to get uh, accuracy times 4 for PvP, or uh, crit damage times four for PVE to like really get that min maxed build. But again, what what's a min max build but a form of bragging rights? So it kind of all falls into that same category. I I more or less agree. Azurian wrote into us at incoming at priorityonepodcast dot com, crafting and upgrading. First off, thank you for looking into this. While Mighty Bob's chart gives the optimal results and I applaud him in creating it. However, I hate to say it doesn't give the realistic outcome for everyone. Not everyone has the materials, the dilithium, the energy credits to buy the best kits for upgrading. For instance, advanced kits go for about 100,000 energy credits, and superior kits go for around a million on the exchange. And for free-to-play players, that's effectively their life savings. Even casual players, that eats into their savings as well.
0: But I think it does give a realistic outcome. On the contrary, I think Mighty Bob's chart is more accurate than that infographic. Mighty Bob's chart gives you hard-coded a formula that you can type in and not even a formula you put in a number of how many tech points you need to earn and it'll tell you how many superior tech upgrades there are. now it gives you the cost of the ec just to craft the the, the tech upgrade right the, the what it costs no it doesn't include the materials or the rarity but at the same time you know the infographic is is basing that off the you know as we discussed last week the market costs so, you know, it's I, I appreciate mighty bobs a little more because it, it allows me to see, okay, this is at its core, this is what I what I need. Now I need to gather all these materials and I'm gonna have to either earn them myself or go on the exchange. And that's where okay, maybe I'll go to the infographic. That's what those are those numbers the EC cost though. Um, on the infographic is just all-encompassing. I want to keep it separate, right? I don't want to worry about the exchange.
1: Yeah, I don't think Azurian is saying infographic over the chart. I think um, Azurian's pointing out some people are not going to have access to use exclusively superiors. Superiors give the best rate at converting your Dilithium into tech points. So some people might feel like they have to use the, the less advanced kits, which means they're spending even more Dilithium and it's taking them even longer.
0: Lance and Dragon commented on PriorityOnePodcast.com. I have been grinding, crafting for my upgrades. I've been coordinating with friends to get the very rare materials. Been selling some of the extra kits from Criticals to fund the making of the kits. 53 days to gather all the stuff I need for the upgrades. Sign me up. Eight weeks to get all the items I need for one specification is very relaxed. Upgrading your gear is a long-term project. Focus on 13 first then be smart about how you upgrade next. Don't try to do it all at once. Funding the EC can be done by the Tour of the Galaxy daily, making Mark II and Mark IV gear and vendoring that. If you are bankrupting yourself, upgrading, you're doing something wrong. Small steps are a way to go. I talked about this with, with Jesse Heining about you know the, the, how the system was designed to be played, about going in for a little bit each day and contributing to the upgrade system. And this is something that I'm not doing. right? I'm not going into the game and, and contributing because the only way that it has been explained to me is that really, I need superior tech upgrades. And that really, the only way to get them is to have them crafted or buy them on the exchange. So, I am not aware of any other way that I can chip at this system, and we talk, I talked about this with Jesse. And he talked about, you know, a better tutorial and and better introduction and better guidance for the player base. Um, I don't know of any other way to just chip at this little by little other than, you know, yeah, earning EC as best I can uh, and then buying them, buying whatever materials I need at market price. But, you know, um, I think right now as it stands, I'm not going to, I'm not going to invest too much time in the upgrade system until we see some of the changes that jesse heinig talked about in our interview
1: mighty bob weighed in via priority one i can't agree with lance and dragon the the lithium costs are fixed within a small amount of variability with lucky crits and mini crits they will not change if you do piecemeal upgrades one small step at a time or wait six months or a year to do your upgrades unless cryptic intervenes with a rebalance of the upgrade system The EC costs to craft items yourself are also fixed, somewhere in the single-digit millions for one full ship to Mark 14 non-epic. The only aspect where Lance is correct is that the cost for the crafting materials themselves can be mitigated by time, grinding the mats. The infographic wasn't the best at explaining that most of the listed EC costs was derived from direct material purchases or upgrade tech purchases, but it is generally accurate for the time period surveyed if you understand what each of the displayed figures represents, as mentioned during the podcast. And I asked some questions for clarity in the forum thread. And that's fair, I don't I don't think Lance is really saying that it's gonna drop down a lot. I do think that if the materials go down in price on the exchange, then the kits will also go down in price on the exchange. The lithium, he's right, doesn't really factor in there unless they change the lithium cost. We have been told now that uh, the materials costs will be decreasing. And we have the post from Phil Zaleski backing that up. But I think Lance's point is more kind of my mentality around it. You know, not that I don't see where other people are coming from, but just that I'm just going to go ahead and upgrade my my main set at the pace that it comes and then see where it's at at the end of that, see if anything's changed.
0: Luke Critter commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com. Great podcast, especially with info on the calculator and other community links. Thanks for including our infographic. We tried to simplify the information to highlight the cost. The last element, which was a general question to those who bought the operations pack, what would the cost be in Zen? You know, again, I, you know, the infographic, you know, the dilithium costs, like we mentioned earlier, are, are fixed. The EC costs in creating this, the actual tech upgrades are fixed. Um, really, the, the, the biggest pain point here is, is uh, that EC bottlenecking, um, you know, and the, the what it costs in terms of the material so you know i think that uh the interview with jesse was very revealing um and i think that we'll see some very pleasant changes coming to the upgrade system
1: yeah i'm very curious In more general feedback mark writes via priority one podcast.com this is why i listen and have been listening to priority one i really enjoy the interviews and videos with the devs keep them coming but the new crafting has us, the players, up in arms. That's the big thing going on right now. So all the extra info, tidbits, and background you guys provide on this is a real treat. It'll provide new and old players needed info to get the most out of STO. Great show as always. More of this, please. Absolutely. Hopefully uh, this further in-depth analysis of the upgrade system is helping. Uh, I know it's helping me as I get back into the game after
0: you know, sort of being away for a few weeks. Jerry Lewis via Patreon commented, Fantastic episode, everybody. I had never thought about exactly how much it would cost to upgrade one ship. I currently only have the consoles of one ship each for my two toons in the P1 fleet, as I can't afford it either in time or delithium to upgrade the weapons or other gear, aside from the three from the Delta pack. Now sadly, the only real-life friend I had that played the game, who became a Lifetime member only a few months ago, has decided not to play anymore because of the cost of the upgrade system. Granted, he can come back at any point. However, if they don't do something about the costs, I don't see that happening anytime soon. As for how much I have spent, I really have no idea. I bought most of my upgrade kits off the exchange before Delta Rising went live, for about $1.5 million apiece, and had my three from the Delta pack. I'm, you know, I'm in a similar boat and, and hopefully your friend, your friend will be back. Tell your friend to listen to this episode of Priority One Podcast, episode 199 and listen to our interview with Jesse Heinig, and maybe that'll uh, brighten his horizon and, and get him back into Star Trek Online.
1: Well, Admirals, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One. Or shoot an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com.
0: Well, that wraps up episode 199 of Priority One Podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. And don't miss our videos from our trip to Cryptic Studios by heading over to YouTube.com forward slash P, the number one network. And of course, you can visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for all of this amazing content.
1: Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our new community question, which is, what do you think so far of the new Club 47? Have you created a new, exciting, garish outfit for your tune? In fact, feel free to post your screenshots either in Drozana or Club 47 in some of the new club gear. And you can submit that for our community question in the comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode.
0: Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority1. Give us a like or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority 1. You can even join the Priority 1 podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority 1.
1: Admirals, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. Would you like to get our content early? Find out about that perk and more by becoming a patron of Priority One Podcast. Visit patreon.com forward slash Priority One to find out more.
0: And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out.
1: The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now, you can join our Klingon fleet division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to
0: join. Kappa! A special thanks to Perfect World Entertainment and Cryptic Studios for spending two full days with Priority One Podcast. And to all the devs of Star Trek Online that sat and chatted with us about the game during our visit. And this week, a very special thanks to Jesse Heining for jumping on the show last minute this week to talk to us about upgrading your items in game. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineers, Skiffy, Ben Churchill, and support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Don't forget, captains. We are in need of a new audio assistant to help with the weekly production of these episodes. So if you're interested, send us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, and to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our video editor, Jerry Tillman, and writer, Jake Morgan. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek Online community, our listeners, our supporters, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red Alert. Shields up.
1: Ready weapons.
0: Engage. reason admirals this week we just weren't funny so instead of bloopers here are some star trek jokes i found online in a pinch how many ears does picard have three a right ear a left ear and the final front ear how many klingons does it take to change a light bulb none klingons aren't afraid of the dark what did the first officer answer when Picard asked, "Why did you let Troy win at poker?" Because I like her. What did Worf say when small ice asteroids began hitting the Enterprise hull?
2: We are being hailed, sir.
0: What does the Enterprise and toilet paper have in common? They both circle Uranus, wiping out Klingons. <laughs>